The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest, greatest edition of The Chris Sheeran Show, caffeinated by Starbucks Coffee Company. I'm Chris Sheeran. That's Lou DiPietro. Slightly less caffeinated because I went to Dunkin' Donuts. Okay. Well, they're not actually sponsoring the podcast, but uh, they are sponsoring my um, ricochet rabbit type uh, personality right now because I am all over the place, as always. But the caffeine, it's kind of like that old, and I hate to bring it up, but it was a Bill Cosby bit, and we know what's going on with him Mm -hmm. now. It's up to like 57 people. Anyway, um, but he used to say uh, about cocaine – he had a bit in his Bill Cosby himself said, well, what does cocaine do? Well, it intensifies your personality. And he said, yes, but what if you're in <laughs> like one of the only times he cursed in the show? Uh, so, yeah, the caffeine that is ingested into my system. And I'm trying to do it only once a week. When we tape this is when I have my one dose of caffeine for the week. Uh, just so I'm up and ready and raring to go and talk some Yankee baseball see, with had, my buddy Lou. See, I had this morning, my wife bought a cold brew pitcher mm-hmm. to make cold brew coffee. And so I had some, and we, we have the cold cup thing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we, we bought them to drink pina coladas on vacation last year. And they're like 12. I approve that message. Yeah, they're like 12-ish ounces. So, like, I put the coffee in there, then I put the water, and then I put the milk, and I drink it. And I was barely to, like, Wilton by the time I finished drinking it. <laughs> I'm like, I need another cup of coffee. This just isn't working. I need to get a bigger I, I need to get a bigger boat. I had an idea that I want to throw out at you, and I want to discuss it here on the podcast because, you know, maybe we'll get some feedback on our Facebook page about it. But when we have guests on um, – and you talked to Matt Cardos earlier We're this morning. Hear yes. that. Yeah, I, I wasn't here, but Lou took care of that and it was tremendous. A little I bit heard. of a schedule conflict. We yeah. had to get Matt on earlier than Oh, whatever. Day, so. I mean, it All is good. what it is. But I think when we're here and we're together and we have a guest on, moving forward, I think we need to have a little fun with the guest. At the end of the interview, have guest match game. Blank. A doodle do. Yes, exactly. We need to like put them in a situation. They cover the team. You know, like an Art Stapleton, who would be tremendous with this, the Giants beat mm-hmm. writer for the record. Um, come up with questions, and I will come up with these Gene Rayburn-esque questions. Uh, you could have the three answers that they used to have in like the final round. You could come up with the three answers. We'll discuss before the show. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get Art Stapleton... To give us the blank about the team, in this case, the Giants that he covers, and we'll see where that ranks okay. in the answer. All right. You know what? Whether let's, it was the first, second, or third. Let's try that. Obviously, we can't do it with Matt, but let's see if we can try that. We're going to have Glenn Naughton from Jet Nation okay, uh, on to talk Jets. Let's uh, try because, that on the fly today. Because they play my beds tonight in the final yeah. preseason game, which... Tim Tebow. Everybody that you want to see play other than Tim Tebow will be out within the first 45 seconds. Yes. Um, as to whichever team goes three and out. On and Matt drive. Flynn. He is in like Flynn tonight. That's, oh that's Austin's favorite Lord. movie. We're going to talk to we're gonna talk. So we'll try that. I'll, I'll, you can come up with a question on the fly. I'll mm. scribble down three answers on the pad here. Okay. And we'll, we'll, give it a, we'll give it a dry run. All right, cool. A, I like uh, it. Do you that, like a, it? A soft launch? Do you, yeah. You yeah, like, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to switch it up, make it a little interesting, make it a little fun or funner. In Italian, it would it be interessante. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. DiPietro. I'm now friends with my high school Italian teacher on Facebook. Oh, nice. Which is interesting. Nice. Also happens to be a, a good friend of mine's aunt. Okay. Very weird situation. I don't know if I've ever talked about this with you or, or on the show, but when I was a kid, 
Uh, this, this is, is muy interesante. This is this <laughs> this is the mid '90s. I was in high school. Okay. Um, while you were in college, I graduating was in high college. Yeah. yeah, but so, go ahead. So we were we, up up where I grew up. We were part of a pilot program with like the five towns in the valley, mm-hmm. as Connecticutians know it, uh, and the local cable company. We did like a distance learning thing. So my Italian teacher was in Shelton, teaching at Shelton High School, and we had students from Seymour Derby and Sonia. I think that was it. We didn't have any kids from Naugatuck in the in the in that class specifically. But uh so it was kind of like a teaching by teleconference thing, which obviously now you you know people do online and all that kind of stuff regularly. But we were like the first to do it in that area. So I took Italian for 3 years from Seymour High School with a teacher from Shelton. Wow. But that teacher also happens to be a kid who I grew up with and have known since kindergarten his his aunt as oh, well. Okay. So it's kind of a whole big kind of inbred thing going on up there. I only took a year in college. I should have took more. Oh, I took I only took one semester because and this speaks to either my mental capacity, Mrs. Ryan's teaching skill or um the way they temple laid out the placement test. I played abacadabra on the placement test and came one point away from passing out of the foreign language requirement completely. Wow. So I took Italian 3 my first semester of college and had no idea what the hell was going on. <sighs> But, again, my teacher was, like, this 90-year-old Italian lady who my roommate later had two years later. Oh, my God. Which is weird because she, like, taught, like, all – you know, she was one of the two or three Italian teachers. And I just kind of, again, played abacadabra and whatever and somehow passed yeah, I and got out of it. I took a year at Middlesex County College before I transferred to Rowan. And uh, Professor Dalton, he was, he was nuts, <laughs> which made the class uh, – extremely fun and we had this one girl in the class from east brunswick i forget her name but she talked like she was from the valley so she, oh my god she would say sono italiano yeah so it, Yo soy bomb. it got it got us through the class just listening her to, to her speak italian but i had it in my brain I, I had it in my speech when my grandmother was alive she was she lived till she was 93 and when i took it I would go home and I would talk to her as much as I could. And the more I talked to her, the more I understood and the more I would be able to speak. And then she passed and then it kind of just went by the wayside because my mother only understands that she can't really speak it. Yeah. I learned more about things and speaking in that, listening to my grandparents and family members than, I mean, no offense to any of my teachers, but you learn more about, I think you learn more about that. And it's all dialect too. Right. And it's been about seven minutes, and we haven't talked about baseball. And the Sopranos. You learn from the Sopranos. Yeah, that too. You, you learn the bad stuff from yeah. the Sopranos. But uh, I don't know how you segue from Italian to – well, Teixeira ends in an A. Uh, maybe he's – Girardi. Yeah, maybe – yeah, there you go. Maybe he's Italian. But see, I've gotten a lot of – I started you know, Facebook discussions, and I've seen other people start Facebook discussions about what's going on with Mark Teixeira. Um I I can't speak to a bone bruise. I can't speak to a bone bruise on the shin. Uh, I I know it's deep, but we know now it's not fractured. Uh, I just know uh, in 2012, he had the grade one calf strain. And he missed pretty much all of September. And he missed pretty much all of September while the Yankees were holding off the Orioles for dear life during that month. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they ended up beating was, them in the first round of the playoffs. Wasn't it in Baltimore where he tried to come back too early and, and hurt himself I, further? I, th- I think he did. Horrendously reminiscent of that uh, whole Yeah, thing. and he came back and he tried it again now. Uh, there's a lot of people out there with the mindset that 
you know, he should get a cortisone shot and he should be in the lineup or at least as a late inning bullet for Girardi off the bench. Now, listen, athletes, they're not, they're not made like they're, they used to be made. Yeah, this, isn't, not. this isn't Willis Reed. And this, no, and this is someone who's protecting his future. I know he only has a year left with the Yankees, but he's not going to be stupid and he's not going to go out there and foul another ball off his shin. Mm-hmm. Players now are commodities. They are. They make tons of money. And what is he making? Over $20 million this year? A lot more than pork bellies did yeah. for Duke and Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Click. Sounds to me like y'all a couple of bookies. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it, he's just not going to put – he said it. He's, I think he said it in 2012. He just wasn't going to play injured because it's not worth injuring himself more mm-hmm. and taking away from what he could have in the future. Now, I get that kind of – It's, it's, it's a, a more – Mentality? It's a more nice way of saying basically like, you know, you know how Roger Dorn says, I'm going to throw another mover. You know how Roger Dorn says in Major League, I'm not going to take one off, off the face or deface this property for a collection of stiffs. Right. It's that sort of mentality where it's like, look, you know, I understand what we're trying to do, but I'm not going to hurt myself more because no one player really does, no matter how you slice it, make or break and a it, team. It's more of old school fans who are having the issue with Teixeira. People who either have fathers who brought them up in the old school way or just people who are old school, old school, you know, they are the fathers or the uncles or the brothers or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the, when they played games, they played through injuries and they played through these nicks and knacks down, especially see, this is what makes it even harder. It's not April. Nope. It's not May. This is a time when the Yankees need Mark Teixeira the most in that lineup. But what fans have to understand is this is not your, Fathers, Major League Baseball. No. It's not. It's just not. These guys are going to protect themselves. They're going to protect their brand. They're going to protect their health so they could play as long as they can. Because when they get out of baseball, they're not signing $20 million contracts anymore. No. And, you know, there's, there were a lot of times. It's, it's interesting we talk about this on the anniversary air-ish of the streak. 21, you know, yeah. Cal Ripken hit yeah. 2131, which I stayed up late in whatever, eighth grade or whenever it was. 95? Yeah. Um, and Cal wrote a piece about it for the Players' Tribune, actually, um, where he said it wasn't about the streak. It was about giving my all every day for my team. There were times where Cal Ripken played banged up. There were times that Cal Ripken played hurt. There were times that Cal Ripken played one at bat or a defensive inning in the field because it kept the streak alive once right. it got to a point where it was the streak. Right. There were surely times during the streak. And that was a power, out, power outage, too. Mm-hmm. Forget about the that. power outage, yes. The, uh, there, were, there were times during the Lou Gehrig streak, especially towards the end when he was battling what he didn't know yet was ALS. Right. Where he would go in there and just kind of be there, you know, and – there were a couple times, not many, where Garrick, you know, just pinch hit or, or did whatever to preserve the streak. Not many, though. Out of that twenty-one thirty, he probably played what twenty-one hundred full games. I mean, let's be fair. And a you don't lot get of those that. 30, yeah. yeah, you don't get that nickname for, for a lot of those thirty name. were at the end. Yeah. Um. So yes, there are times when athletes play hurt. Player, you know, uh, 
LeBron James would have had to have been dead to not play yeah. game six of the NBA finals yeah. last year. You know, it, it just that's the way it goes. Much like in 2012, though, not one player makes or breaks this team, and Mark Teixeira is hurt. Every player is different. Everybody is different. Some injuries, I've been dealing with a nagging quadriceps injury from softball for months. But I play once a week, so I play through it. If I was playing every day, it might be a different story. And if I was making $20 million to play slow-pitch softball, right. it might be a different story. I, you know, I knew a kid when I was younger who had a, who had a similar injury to, to share. did the same thing in Little League, fouled a ball off his leg. He was on crutches for a month. Well, I think that in lies where everybody has an issue, okay? It's the money involved. It's the time of the season that it is. But there's also the other side of the coin. If I could play devil's advocate just for a second, mm -hmm. because I tend to fall in the old school mentality myself. However, there is the other side of the coin where that if he is hurt and if you saw when he came back and he started that night, couldn't, couldn't move. He couldn't even run. He couldn't move. So what's the use of having that guy out there clogging the base paths up? And if you bat him and A-Rod back to back and you have a-Rod on second and Teixeira on first, if you're lucky enough to get them both on, you've got a logjam on the base yeah. paths. Very station to station. I, I would rather see Greg Bird, a 100% healthy Greg Bird, in the lineup, and he showed you again that he can hit lefties. Now, I know what's uh, Owens... Henry Owens. Henry Owens. With his stupid inner arm tattoo and his dumb hair, as somebody said yesterday. I know. He, his slash line against lefties is much worse than his slash line against righties. I know that. Go ahead, finish, and then I got a good but, point with that. But having said that, Greg Bird has shown you, and I know he's tailed off a little bit. He's hitting low 200s, you know, whatever. You got to remember, though, where this kid was at the beginning of the season. He, 14 months ago? He was he played his last game in high A. Right. And Matt Cardos talks about that. We talked about Greg Bird at length. And now he's in the majors. He's in the major leagues in September playing first base in a pennant race for the mm -hmm. Yankees. Yeah. And he will be for the next two weeks. Y you would think it's just gonna be two weeks because that's what they said about the share. But who yeah. knows? When I don't remember Dante Bichette had just been called up when I was in Trenton last August for uh, the MVP foundation event mm -hmm. that we used, we would go to every year. I don't think Bird had been there for a full week at that point. So think about that. The day he came up to the majors, it was less than 13 months that he was in high A. Wow. Same with Severino. And both of these guys are playing intricate roles in this team's playoff destiny. Now, I know mm -hmm. the Yankees are that first wild card team. You know, but you have some hot teams coming up behind them fast. Yeah. They have to keep winning. They have seven games left with the Blue Jays. And let's be honest, this Blue Jays offense is unbelievable. It's unreal. It's unreal. It's unreal. Every time, like, you, you see Michael Kay calling a game. Within minutes of the Yankee game starting, he's updating you that the Blue Jays have scored already. And like I said uh, last week or the week before, it's everybody. It's just like the Yankees earlier in the season. I mean, the other night when the Yankees beat the Red Sox, it was Ryan Goins who right. hit a walk-off home run you right. know, to, to win the game and keep the lead. And they get Ben Revere. He was batting ninth. He was leading off too low. But now how smart does, does Gibbons look now leading off Revere? Hmm. If you're going to beat the Blue Jays, 
you're going to be in a slugfest. You're going to be the Blue Jays are going to be trying to beat in the Red Sox in, in back in the heyday of the rivalry in the early 2000s mm-hmm. to late 2000s when those games would just go back and forth 12-8, 11-10. That's the only way you're going to beat this Blue Jays team. Who who on the Yankees rotation do you see as a lockdown shutdown pitcher against the Blue Jays right now? Who? Who's going to go through that lineup and shut them down? Who's, who's the one that did it last weekend? Was it Severino? I think it was. Because then nobody really knows him? Look, here's, here's, here's the two things. And Tana- how many runs did Tanaka give up against the Red Sox? Here's the two things to note about this coming series. And I wish this laptop would stop with this airplay. No, I'm sorry. Here's the two things we note. You know the rotation. It's going to be everybody. I think the one guy who misses it is going to be... Who's pitching Tanaka? Severino is going to be the one guy who misses the series unless Joe inserts somebody because he's going to start Friday night against Jake Odorizzi, which means he's going to go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday against uh, Baltimore before Before the series series starts starts on Thursday. So it's those four guys other than Severino. I think you'd rather probably miss Nova at this point. You'd rather have Nova going, but it is what it is. And B, as long as the Blue Jays simply – Win or lose today. Let's assume the Blue Jays win today. Okay. Right? So they're two, two up. Two back. They're two back. They're mm-hmm. two up. As long as the Blue Jays match the Yankees over the six games where they play Baltimore and Tampa, they sweep that series. It goes from two to six, and it's September 13th. Right. 14th. Goodbye. See you later. Forget about the division. The division it's is over. over. The division is over. You- Whereas if the Yankees even win three out of four... They cut the deficit to a tie. Right. And then it's game on. And then it's game on. But you have to win three or four. And then it's that Baltimore Yankees run. Again, eerily reminiscent of 2012. It was Labor Day weekend, right? The Yankees played the Orioles. Mm-hmm. They kind of went ahead for good, and it was one, no more than two, but never less than a tie the rest of right. the way. Right. It was here we go. Fingernail biting all the way through. But the Blue Jays are playing so well, yeah. and it's not just the lineup. You're getting great pitching. Yeah. All right, Dickey threw a complete game. No, no, no. For a knuckleballer, not hard, but still. You got a you got a horse in price, two veterans in Burley and Dickey. And what have the Yankees done against knuckleballers this year? Niente, nada, zip, zilch. In any language, zero. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Who who's the one for the, the Red Sox? Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> we talked about yeah. <laughs> Stephen Wright shut him down for the Red Sox. And R.A. Dickey for the, for the Blue Jays. I think the last time we talked about this, as a team, they hit 187 Yep, as a team against knuckleballers. And Drew Hutchison is Cy Young in he Toronto Young, and Anthony right. Young on the road. It's weird. <laughs> but you know what? Like you said, we'll see. Next week when we do this, it will be on the eve of the series, and we'll see where we stand. And it's, it's this is it. It's go time. Yeah. There's no looking back. Any sports cliche you want to use. Right. And, you know, the Yankees have, like I said, they're going to have to mash. They're going to have to come with their lineup in full swing. Another awful pun. But they have to if they want to contend with this team the way they're playing right now. I mean, it's it's they are unconscious the way they're playing. But when you have the the, those five guys, you know, at the top of your lineup, uh, you know, Ben Revere. Last night against the Indians, Ben Revere singles, steals second. Donaldson singles. It's one nothing. When Justin Smokes hitting seventh, you have a hell of a lineup. The two, the first two batters of the game, bang bang, one nothing Blue Jays. Yep. Revere on, Donaldson drives them in. 
league leader in RBIs. It's, it's we'll a tough equation to beat. And, you know, like I said, you have to be a realist. You cannot just sit back and say, ah, the Yankees, they'll be fine. You know, the Blue Jays, what have they done? It doesn't matter. This is a new Blue Jays team. Anthopolis went after it, and guess what? It worked. It worked mm-hmm. big time. And David Price, since he's come on board, I think he's 4-1 and one in six starts and with a 2.28 ERA. And they've lost six games in the last five weeks. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, and <laughs> now granted, that? two of those losses are to the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, the Yankees took that series in mid-August. So that's what they're going to have to do. The Yankees are going to have to go into that series, which starts next Thursday, as my partner just alluded to, and they're going to have to take at least yep. three or four. But like you said, you know what? Even if the Blue Jays and Yankees split this weekend, 2-2, no harm, no foul in terms of the game, and it's matched the rest of the way. So yeah. as, if they're losing once a week otherwise, the Yankees have to be perfect. Yeah, to catch it and that's, that's tough to do. When your four-hitter who makes the lineup extremely mm-hmm. versatile is out for two weeks, uh, you can't break lefties up yeah. without them. Uh, you know, it, that little detail, not so little. It's nope. gigantic. Let's talk about the prospects a little bit. Let's, I, we'll throw it now to give ourselves a break here. We'll throw it now to my conversation earlier today with Matt. We taped this earlier than earlier. So it's pre-pre-recorded. <laughs> uh, Matt Cardos contributes to MLB.com, covers the Trenton Thunder, for, has the Rolling Thunder blog, and has been there for, for a long time. So talk to him about Greg Bird, uh, Severino, Judge, Dante Bichette, oddly enough, and, and a few other guys. So uh, good stuff here. Here's, uh, here's 20 minutes of goodness from Matt. Well, Matt, thanks for uh, joining us on the show today, or joining me, I should say. Um, covering the Trenton Thunder down, uh, down in the Jersey capital this year, you got a good look at a lot of top prospects early in the year, not so much necessarily later in the year, but uh, Greg Bird will start at the top. I mean, he's, he's all the way to the majors now. He's, he's hitting fairly well, playing decent defense at first base. For a guy who started in double A, you know, what about Greg Bird made him so great early in the season, got him to triple A, and then now to the majors? Well, the biggest thing about Greg Bird is he, I'm sure a lot of fans have seen it in his short time up in the big league so far is the fact that just his personality and the way he carries himself, he's very he's a very unflappable guy. There's not much that can really scare him. There's not a lot of stress that, that really goes through his mind. He doesn't really um, react to tough situations. So for a guy who all the way back to last year was in high A Tampa, and for him a year and a half later to already be up in the big league is kind of a testament to the way he goes about his approach and the way he goes about his business. And uh, his plate, his plate approach really uh, has gone above and beyond where anybody thought it would be at this point in his career. And uh, people up in the big leagues are starting to see that now. Uh, down in Trenton, he started off pretty slowly, and uh, I've told people a lot when he he was going through a tough stretch earlier in the season, and then he had an unfortunate shoulder injury, which put him on the shelf for a while. But once he got over the effects of that shoulder injury and got back and and got into a rhythm, he kind of took off from there. And that turned into a promotion at AAA, and he never really slowed down from there. And I don't think Yankees fans thought that they would see him as quickly as they have seen him, uh, considering the start that Mark Teixeira got off to this season. Uh, but the fact that they've been able to put Greg Bird out there every day, who has a plus glove at, at first base, and the patient approach that he has plays to the major league level. And uh, he's held himself really well up there. Uh, he's got three home runs. He's, he's hitting about two fifty-five. Uh, somewhere in that area. So he's certainly holding his own for such a young guy. And the Yankees are really getting a glimpse of a lot of the guys that 
they've been hearing about for the last couple of years. Their birds, just another guy on that list that they're getting to see in 2015, uh, who's going to play a major part in their future. He was there at the beginning of the year as well as Luis Severino, who now also in the majors. Another guy on that track that's, you know, kind of the, on one of the untouchable prospects. Not up yet, though. Aaron Judge, um, who went up to AAA around the same time as Bird. A lot of Yankee fans clamoring to see Aaron Judge, but what Brian Cashman said, and it, it's fairly true, is that there's really not a spot for him, so he would clog up the roster, and he's not Rule 5 eligible. He's only hitting in the 230s in AAA, but I, I know he was he was tearing up AA. I'm assuming you also agree with that sentiment that you know Aaron Judge isn't ready. You've seen him for half a season. Might as well let him you know master AAA a little bit while they don't necessarily quote unquote need him before bringing him up and throwing him into the fire like the Yankees may have done with Bird or Severino. Yeah, I have to agree. Like you said, with I'd have to go inside with Brian Cashman on this one. I, Aaron Judge. He's an all-world talent. That's that's unmistakable. You see that watching him every day. Um, he's going to be a cornerstone player for years to come. But at this place, at this point in time, where the Yankees are at this juncture in their season, trying to win a division and, and chasing Toronto now at this point, um, there's there's not really room for Aaron Judge to grow in the big leagues. Uh, at a point where, like you said, he doesn't have to be put on the 40-man roster yet. So there's no reason to go and take up a roster spot where it's not needed. And at bats are limited, especially now when Carlos Beltran is having a phenomenal second half, and and the offense seems to be clicking out there in the outfield. They're they're really the only spot that Judge would have is a potential pinch hit spot off the bench. And as you know, the pinch hitters aren't really used as much in the American League as they are in the National League, so his playing time would be limited. And there's not really a role for him up there. But he did struggle for for sure in his time up in AAA. Obviously, I didn't see him personally when he got up to AAA. Uh, numbers show that he did slow down, and he, he did only hit 229, and his OPS is the lowest it's been in a really long time since going up to AAA. Um, so at at this point, there's, there's really no reason to have him up there. There is no reason necessarily to have him up there, but the Yankees did bring up eight players. Um, you know, we've seen Austin Romine before, Caleb Cotham, Perella, Ref Snyder have, have been around this season, Ackley coming off the DL. There are three guys that may be a little bit of an unknown, at least this season, the Yankees fans, all of which have spent time in Trenton. So we'll start with Andrew Bailey. And, you know, he didn't necessarily have the, the greatest of outings on Wednesday afternoon in Boston. Maybe a little rusty, first major league appearance in two years. But he has spent, had spent the majority of this season in Trenton. What did you see in Bailey as he worked his way back from, you know, where he was maybe in March, April, May, when he started the comeback trail again to where he is now on September 3rd? There's there's not many guys that I saw at any point in the system, whether they're young guys, old guys, rehabbing guys who who worked harder to get back to where they are than Andrew Bailey has. Uh, I I spent a lot of time talking to Andrew Bailey on a lot of days down there in Trenton, and he was just like one of the guys that you see some some veteran guys come down there for a couple days when they do rehabs, and you just tell that they're big league guys and that they kind of carry themselves above everybody else. But Andrew Bailey stayed for an extended period of time in Trenton, like you alluded to. He was there for 13, 14 games, but he traveled with the team on the road uh, for just like, a, like every other minor leaguer. So he's had a really humbling return back from uh, a lot of things that he's had to deal with injury-wise. And so he's put a lot of work into it. And I, I've watched him come from when he first began his rehab assignment in Trenton to I've seen the velocity go up a few ticks. And he was getting hit harder a little bit when he first started, and I've seen him kind of evolve into form where we saw him a few years ago when he was a top closer for Oakland. Uh, this is a guy who he's still young in, in 
multiple respects. Uh, doesn't have a ton of miles on the arm as far as innings go. And he's a guy that I think could help the Yankees. Uh, the other day's appearance, maybe want to chalk it up to rust. It's, it's hard to say, but he's certainly deserving of the, of the opportunity to show that he may be back from the surgery because this is a guy who has averaged a strikeout an inning for his career. He's averaged a strikeout an inning this year on his rehab coming back. And so I think more than anything, this month or five weeks, that Bailey's going to be up there is, is more of a showcase for anything to see what he has left moving into next year. Whether he's in the Yankees' bullpen or not next year, obviously a lot will depend on, on what he does in September. A, a guy on the other side of the coin and on the other side of the, of, of the glove, as it is because he's a lefty, who you know, Yankees fans may not know a lot about is James Pazos, who also was called up, and he spent a lot of time in Trenton as well over the last couple of years. Got a, a little bit of a look in spring training. Was in the Arizona Fall League a couple of years ago. What can what can you tell Yankees fans who may not know anything about about Pazos? What this guy can bring to the table, either in a limited stint like now, or possibly in the next few years as a as a bullpen arm for the Yankees. Uh, James Pazos, his stock has really really risen in the last year year and a half or so, uh, especially coming from the left side. Uh, where he's had a pretty dominant going of it for Trenton and his short time up in Scranton. Um, he's just a big, tall lefty. He's got a low to mid-90s fastball. He could sit anywhere from 90 to 94. Uh, his his slider, though, is his go-to pitch. The pitch, it's a, it's a wipeout slider, and uh, lefties have a really ta- hard time picking that up. Uh, I could see Girardi possibly using him in lefty-on-lefty situations going down the stretch and uh, – I wouldn't be surprised if if Tezos plays a big role in in that respect moving forward. I I really like what I saw from him this year. Uh, he dealt with some. He was actually in big league camp. He didn't really get a lot of play when he was up there. Uh, he dealt with some injuries also in the spring, which kind of deterred him from getting a lot of exposure. Um, but his time that I did see him in Trenton, I, I watched him grow, even where I saw him last year, and uh, he's really grown into that and moved into that new kind of wave of relievers that the Yankees have coming up now, along with Tyler Webb, a guy who you may see at some point who's on the DL right now. But he's also in that class with Rumbelo and Goody and Lindgren, guys like that, where you kind of see this new wave of relievers moving forward. And you've seen kind of the old wave of relievers, guys like Montgomery, who who haven't really had two years in a row where they've struggled and have kind of fallen off the map. And guys like Danny Barawa, who is now with the Atlanta Braves organization, getting an opportunity with them. But you've kind of seen that wave of relievers come and go, and, and Pezos is kind of one of those four or five guys in this new group of relievers who could really really play a big role for the Yankees in the next year or two. Now, all these guys you mentioned you, you know, spent some time in Trenton either this year or, or most of last year, and none of them are there either by Major League call-up, Barawas in, in Atlanta, or you know, Montgomery called up to AAA to replace all the guys that got called up. You and I were talking before, you know, uh, before we went on live-ish here about how Trenton went from, on opening day, this was the team to watch, to you know, yesterday they were eliminated from playoff contention, and it's sort of like, okay, who's available and can make it here today uh, to, to be in the lineup? There were two guys that were there much or all of the year that were never really in that category of, like, these guys are coming soon. The first of which I'll go to is Jake Cave, who spent the majority of the season you know, in the outfield. He, he's coming up on a Rule 5 decision, and this is a Yankees organization that's loaded with left-handed hitting on-base profile outfielders from Ellsbury and Gardner on down to Williams and Heathcott and so on and so on. What did Jake Cave show this year, if anything, that you know the Yankees can look at and say, this is a guy we want to protect this year because 
there may be a team that looks at him and says, much like Ben Gamble, this guy could be a great fourth outfielder for now and then develop into something big. Yeah, I, I agree with just about everything you just said. Jake Cave, um, watching him majority of the time, he's the one been kind of the one staple that was in that trend lineup the entire season when you had guys like Judge uh, going up to going up to AAA and you had Mason Williams who started the year and, and he went up and, and Greg Bird and Eric Chagala was on the DL most of the year. Jake Cave was the one kind of staple that Al Pedrucci could count on every day to throw out there in his leadoff spot. And for the most part, he, he had one heck of a season. Uh, go, he was an all-star selection. He, he started an all-star game, and he batted 280 pre-all-star game, and he had a really terrible July where he batted almost under two. He batted right around 200 at 205, and it really brought his overall numbers all the way down. He, he hit 269 to finish in Trenton, but it just looks like an ordinary season when you look at the box score, but when you see him play every day, I saw a guy who does the intangible things. He shows up. He plays hard every day. And I think a guy that you alluded to just a few minutes ago, Ben Gamble. I think uh, Jake Cave is very, very similar in a lot of ways to Ben Gamble. Uh, they may not have one tool that's off the charts, but they have three, four, maybe five tools that they do all average to above average that are going to help a team win a lot of games during the course of the season. Uh, but like you said, too, uh, both of those guys are Rule 5 eligible, and the Yankees have to come to grips in it with a situation where they are an organization blessed with a lot of outfield depth and a lot of outfield talent who could potentially contribute in a starting role or a secondary role at the major league level. A guy like Slate Heathcott, who we saw come up and he performed very well until he had an unfortunate injury that deterred him. Uh, Mason Williams, we finally saw him after hearing about him for so many years, and he performed well uh, before he got injured and needed season-ending surgery. So we kind of saw it last year with a guy like Ramon Flores, who did a lot of good things, but maybe didn't have one plus tool, just had three or four that were really good. And at some point, when you have a need in another area, the Yankees just came to terms and they dealt Flores to Seattle to, in order to get Ackley. So it, it's not really a testament against the player. It's just a numbers game. And when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, you have seven, eight, nine guys who are capable of maybe being a fourth outfielder at the big league level. You could only keep so many of them. Uh, unfortunately, we saw just yesterday uh, Tyler Austin uh, is a victim of the numbers game. Uh, kind of had a down year, but just two years ago, he's a top five prospect for the organization. And the Yankees kind of just DFA'd him. And I guess they're waiting now to see if anybody's going to give him an opportunity. But it is a numbers game at the end of the day, and it's hard to say what the Yankees are going to do. It, I guess a lot is going to depend on what they do with the rest of their roster moving forward and how guys perform the rest of the way. Uh, but Jake Cave's a good player, and he had a he had a pretty solid season down in Trenton. Uh, but it's just a matter of how the Yankees view him in comparison to the other fourth projectable fourth outfielders that they have. A guy like Ben Gamble, who very well could be the Yankees minor league player of the year had a phenomenal, phenomenal season up in AAA, just as he did last year in Trenton. I voted him as my MVP in Trenton last year. So he's a, he's a guy very similar to Ben Gamble, and the Yankees are going to have a tough decision to make. And whether or not, you know, Heathcott and Mason Williams, their injury histories play into it, you know, we'll, we'll see over the winter. You, you kind of alluded to my next, my next, which is my second-to-last individual player question uh, of Tyler Austin. You know, two years ago, a couple, three years ago, he put himself on the map, huge season, got all the way up to Trenton at the end of the year. And and never really got past that. I, I know the wrist injury that, that cost him a lot of time a couple of years ago and the fall league and all that played a lot into it. But if I can simply phrase the question in two words to someone who saw him at the end of this year's tenure, what happened? Uh, he 
in my honest opinion, he looked good when he came back down to Trenton. Uh, the numbers might not show that because he had a he hasn't been down here for very long. But his last week here, he he kind of went into a little bit of a funk. But when he came down here, he was hitting 300, 310 for the first couple weeks he was down here, and he's kind of gone in a tailspin for the last week to ten days, which make his overall numbers at around 260. They don't look all that appealing, but he definitely looked like he didn't belong in double A. He definitely didn't look like he was a double A guy. He looked like he belonged in triple A. But when you look at the stats up in triple A, like I said, I don't cover Scranton, so I don't see him every day, but the numbers just weren't there in an organization. Like I just said, has so much outfield depth. When you have guys who have to, who younger guys who have to continue that ladder of moving up and you have other guys who are deserving to move up, it's unfortunate where it's kind of a numbers game and they don't really have the room to allow Tyler Austin to play every single day to continue to develop where they've given him that opportunity for two or three years now and it just hasn't happened for him for whatever reason. I do believe that the wrist injury that he had a few years ago played a big part in his deterrent because he was very hot before that injury happened and that kind of derailed his whole season and just when it seemed like last season, at the end of the year for Trenton, he started to get hot again, and then the season ends. And it's kind of just like every time Tyler Austin gets in a hot streak, something, whether it's end of season or an injury or a disabled list stint, uh, kind of sets him back. And it's kind of just been a victor- victim of uh, the injury bug and, and bad timing. But it's it's hard to say what really happened to him. It's it's really hard to say, but it's definitely a kid that looks like he still has talent. Talent's there when you watch him. It comes in spurts, though, and I don't know if it's a lingering part with his wrist injury. He says no when, when talking to him, but he knew when he came back down to Trenton that it was a numbers game and that all he had to do was hit in order to get back up there, and he just wasn't doing it. There's another guy that falls into that category, I think, a little bit. That's that's my last individual player question for you, and that's Dante Bichette, who's now back in Trenton for the, the second time this year. He, he's another guy who's coming up not only on Rule 5 eligibility, but then you know eventually minor league free agency. And, and, and in all three of his stints in Trenton, late last year, early this year, and then, and then later this year, you know he hasn't necessarily looked like he's made the adjustment well at times, whereas other times he flashes the talent. What do you see from seeing him twice this year now and a little bit at the end of last year that maybe – is Dante Bichette Jr. still a future asset or is Dante Bichette Jr. kind of one of those guys riding out his minor league free agency or is he somewhere in the middle? As nice as a kid as I think he is, he's he's very honest and open about his situation. I just haven't seen it. I have not seen it uh, at all. Uh I chalked it up at the end of last season just as growing pains. Obviously, when you're when you're up in the Eastern League for the first time after coming from the Florida State League where you see majority of fastballs, I kind of just chalked it up to the adjustment period that most young hitters face coming from that situation. Um, obviously, started off the season poorly uh, his first month and a half here, and he just looked completely overmatched in his first month and a half here. And there were times where Al Padrique would run him out there, and I... I would just say to myself that this kid is overmatched here. He he belongs back in the Florida State League. Um, so they send him down in, in early June, and he really didn't hit in Tampa either. It, it, the bat just never came around. Um, I will say to his credit, though, uh, since coming back, he's looked a lot better. Uh, in August, he had his best month by far, considering the two months before that, in, in May, June, and July, he hit under 200 for the month. 
and he hit almost 275 in August. So he's having by far, he's coming off by far his best month and probably over a calendar year. Um, but on a whole, I just don't see where the Yankees are in a position where they're going to keep a roster spot open to protect him moving forward. And I, I think it's very much a situation like you spoke about earlier. It's, he may just be riding out the string in before he hits uh, minor league free agency. That would be kind of a, a shame just in terms of the Bichette-Girardi family uh, connection. You know, everybody kind of excited about, about him possibly playing for Uncle Joe, as he calls him, you know, sometime in the future. But with, with all these guys we've talked about, with all these guys that have moved up and all the name prospects, there's been a lot of guys in, in Trenton this year that have been under the radar because they're not on that list of hot names. Last question for you before I let you go is this. Of anybody we haven't necessarily talked about or isn't ballyhooed, who out of the guys that have played in Trenton this year, you know, maybe one or two guys, do you think in the future are next up to be that Mark Montgomery, Tyler Austin a few years ago, onto the Rumbelows and Goodies and those guys that can put themselves or have put themselves on the map with what they've done in 2015? I think for me, without question, it's not even a hard thing to kind of reflect on it and try to go down the list and see who, who jumped out. I think it's, for me, it's Brady Lale. A uh, guy who is uh, an all-star for the Thunder, an Eastern League all-star. Uh, he's just been the consummate professional, the, the model of consistency for the entire system uh, for the majority of the season. This is a guy who started on opening night in high-A Tampa. Um, not, nobody really expected him a couple days later to end up in Trenton. This is a guy who was the opening night starter for high-A Tampa and moved to Trenton a couple days later. And the entire season, he just seemed to get better and better and better with every start. And uh, he has one start left for Scranton. He, he went up to Scranton about a month ago. Uh, but this is a guy who on the season is 10-6 and six with a 2.66 ERA in, in 26 starts on the mound. Um, he's only walked 40 guys in 145 pitches. So he's going to cap out somewhere right around 150 innings, which is where you would expect that a guy of his age to cap out at in his, kind of his first full season going through the system. Um, but this is a guy who's completely jumped onto the radar. I've heard a lot of scouts and a lot of people with the Yankees talk more about him than most people never even heard of him before the season started. And this is a guy who just got better and better and better with every start. And so we're the point now where you're probably going to see Brady Lale in big league camp next year, and you're going to see him get a look uh, and, get, and log some innings uh, when it comes time to next spring. But he's definitely a guy who's jumped on the radar for me, who's really, really impressed me with his work ethic, the way he carries himself. Uh, he's just a guy that fits the Yankee mold and the guy that you would want on a mound representing your, your organization in pinstripes. There were, I know there were a lot of quasi-prospect heads and you know quasi-insiders like myself very excited at the beginning of the year that it looked like the high-A Tampa rotation was going to start with Lale, Domingo Herman, and Ian Clarkin. And two haven't seen the mound this year and one's in AAA. So as they say, that's, that's why they play the games. Matt Cardos, Absolutely. thank you very much as always. We... Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again next season as the Thunder roll on uh, and try to develop some more Baby Bombers uh, All-Stars. It was a pleasure, Luke. Thank you again for having me. Enjoy it as always. So there you have it. Interesting stuff. Brady Lale, I mean, as I mentioned at the end, too, a name to watch there. You talk about the starting pitcher, Severino's this guy, and, you know, Capuano will be back at some point. But Brady What about Caprellian? Anything on him? He's pitching for Staten Island tonight. Right. Um, he's been... Limited outing. Staten Island's uh, Scranton, their magic number is one with five games left. Um, they need to win, or Rochester, which is the Twins, need to lose, and they're in the playoffs. Staten Island's the only other one that's got a shot. Pulaski's in the playoffs, the rookie league. Mm-hmm. But Staten Island's the only one of the like, you know, A or higher affiliates that's got a shot. 
Caprellian's, you know, he's out there throwing his three innings, and we'll see what he's got. He's probably just, you know, keeping his arm fresh, realistically. He threw a lot of innings for UCLA, so. He's looked okay, though. All he's, right. He's looked good. All right, good. But, uh. So there you go. Well, we've, Yankees. we've inflated the Yankees, so now let's deflate ourselves and talk about the NFL. Oh, yeah, Tom Brady's appeal. How about yes. that? Oh, we have to mention it. Tom Brady, they won. The judge overturned the suspension. Goodell is appealing it. Anthony DeComo of MLB, who covers the Mets, tweeted that it's Goodell's stance is like George continuing to insist he has a house in the Hamptons. Perfect analogy. And Tom Brady's balls are still your business. Do you have any horses? I have two. What are their names? Snoopy and Prickly Pete. <laughs> so there you go. Deflate Gate continues. Oh my good lord! You know, although somebody, a guy in my fantasy draft last night, snagged Brady in the eighth round, and uh, that looks like a great. Yeah, match. absolutely. He was my quarterback last year. Listen, we, we talked about this, you know, ad nauseum, uh, and, and my stance has always been: the guy won the Super Bowl and the MVP yep. with balls that were just fine. Um. Now, everybody still wants to say he cheated and this, that, and the other thing. You had the Colts linebacker uh, who, who made the interception and questioned the balls yeah. also say uh, if they were playing with a bar of soap, they would have beat us. Uh, it's nonsense. Yeah. And now, now, Bleacher Report was reporting, by the way, yeah. that most of the NFL owners did not want Roger Goodell to appeal this federal judge's ruling that – 86th, Brady's four-game suspension. And yet he did anyway. And yet he still went ahead and appealed. This looks so bad for the commissioner of the NFL. He is now in a pissing match. This is all this is now. Because this is now going to drag out. This is him saving, trying to save face. And what he's doing is he's making his face like Two-Face from Batman. This is now going to drag out because this appeal is going to drag out. After the acid incident. And what it's going to do is it's going to drag out in week one. And if it gets upheld... Brady's going to miss some time during the season. It just becomes a mockery. And here's the question. I, I, this is like the third person I've mentioned this about, but here's the question. At what point does the NFL now look at Roger Goodell and be like, this, this just isn't the guy to lead us? Right. And there's a revolt well, between the owners. Be. And all, like, when, 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 does, when does this guy become enough of a joke that the owners are in on it? He works for the owners. If most of these owners, as Bleacher Report reported, didn't want him to appeal this, the, didn't want him to appeal a decision of to get rid of the four games, I think we're heading that way. He looks he looks worse in terms of PR now than that chick in Kentucky who stopped giving out marriage licenses because it's against her. You know that whole thing with the it's against her. Well, if her it's faith to give her, them the if gay. it's against her faith, she should not be working in that department because right. the law says. She yeah. has to do it. That's a, so they need to move her. That's a yeah. departmental. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole other can of yes. worms that I'm sure would be better served on Sid's show than ours. But Oh, we, we talk about yeah. The point being is that at this point, with everything that's happened now, and I find it very funny that one of the NFL's highest-ranking PR executives is leaving the NFL to go work for a PR firm that provides consultancy on PR issues to the NFL. <laughs> It's like, well, we're going to move the money from this pile to this one over here so that it looks like we have less, but we still have the same because the piles are even. And it's a bad week for the NFL. Let's be honest. Just, yeah. This, this is a league, and everybody says it's a bad week for the NFL with the concussion movie coming out, yeah. this whole mockery with the Brady situation. But I'm telling you right now, anybody who thinks that this billion-dollar juggernaut machine is going to all of a sudden stop working – 
You're lost. Oh, no. Yeah, no. You are absolutely Ratings lost. Ratings and revenues were higher last year than they ever Ratings, were. revenue, fantasy. The NFL is not going to suffer one iota. There are people who base their entire lives on Sunday, mm-hmm. which is scary, by the way. They live cathartically through these hits that, are, that have been made illegal. The one thing that I agree with Roger Goodell on is the cutting down on the headhunting. Mm-hmm. That stuff needed to be stopped. Yep. There is no need for a defensive back to hit a receiver and lead with his helmet. There's no need for that. Yep. Now, I know there are certain people get on me and, oh, you're this, you're that. No. Okay? You don't need to do that. I know it's impossible. There was a personal foul penalty called, I think it was on Robert Ayers in the Giants-Jets game. I don't know how big Ayers is. He's a big dude. But he's a big dude. He's a defensive lineman. Um, who was in at quarterback for the Jets at that point? I think it, I think it was still Fitzpatrick. And he rolled out to his left. And another giant defender was bringing him down. Ayers had already left his feet. And in, in midair, kind of adjusted his body and, and only put his hand on Fitzpatrick's chest. And he was flagged for a personal foul. See, those I don't get. Mm. I don't know how you're supposed to play, and everybody says it, Lou, at NFL speed and be a second away from hitting somebody and being able to pull up and, and not mm. hit the person. You might as well put a penny in flags on the quarterback at this point, the way the well, league is going. The, the quarterback, uh, geez, if you blow on the guy. Mm. It, the whole thing is, you know, with, with all you said with the revenues and fantasy and, and yada, I mean, we've got a DraftKings show on our network now. That's yeah. how big fantasy has become. There's still a point where Roger Goodell is he's, – he's proven now to this point he's not the right guy to lead the league. It, he's just not. He, whether, it, whether it takes him to be the, the social change, you know, I hate to compare it to like the civil rights movement or what's going on you know, with Kentucky and all that now. But if it takes him to be the guy that promotes the change to make the NFL better and he ends up being the fall guy, so be it. He's just not the guy. No. At this point. He isn't. It was ludicrous. And yet, and we've said that many times. And yet, I will be one of the many who watches tonight when the Jets face the Eagles simply because I just want to take a quick look at the Eagles before. Who doesn't want to see Tim Tebow? So let's do this. Let's bring in Glenn Naughton from Jet Nation, our Yes Network affiliate. Yes. Covers the Jets, Mm -hmm. lives in the Philly area. Interesting. Which is interesting. It's the opposite. Yeah, so the opposite of me. Uh, the Eagles fan living in the New York area. Yeah. But he can shed some light on, on what the Jets, at least, tonight. We have big Jets-Eagles game. So, Glenn, first of all, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate you having me. And the first question is, when are you going to turn off tonight's game when the Tim Tebow experience runs wild on the New York? No. The, the first question is, obviously, tonight's the last preseason game, and nobody of note is going to play much of note. It's a game where both teams are evaluating their, their 45th man on down. What is the Jets, outside of stay healthy, primary goal tonight? Well, I think they're going to want to try to get a look at who their number three is going to be uh, at quarterback. Obviously, the, I don't think there's any intention to get Bryce Petty on the field at all this year. And with Geno being out for a few weeks, you know, as they say in the league, you're one play away from being out. So if they end up in a situation where Ryan Fitzpatrick gets dinged up and they don't want Petty out there, they're, they're going to have to see who that third quarterback is. Now, of course, they, they brought in Josh Johnson, uh, who was let go just a couple of weeks ago, 
and he's going to compete with Matt Flynn. And, uh, you know, neither, neither guy is, is anything to write home about, but they're going to want to see them get some reps. I know Todd Bowles said the other day that it was probably going to be a healthy dose of Matt Flynn with, with a little bit of Josh Johnson. And I think, you know, from, a, from an athletic standpoint, Johnson brings more to the table than what you get from Flynn. But Flynn, you know, as I've discussed with some other, some other Jet, Jet fans, it's an odd situation where he, he has this pension for, you know, a bunch of Hall of Fame coaches have signed him, but then none of them have liked him enough close up to hang on to him. So I wouldn't be shocked if Josh Johnson kind of came from out of nowhere and took that number three job tonight. Hey, hey, and again, probably on a temporary basis till Gino's back. Glenn, I, you know, and pardon me while I go John Sterling on you for a second, but isn't it amazing? I mean, Matt Flynn, think about where he was. He is snake it till you make it, the I, definition of that. He, At- he, he, he's in Green Bay. He has that ridiculous game back in uh, back on January first, twenty twelve. Four hundred eighty yards, six TDs, and a forty five forty one win over the Lions. You're looking at him there, going, "My God, this guy! He's not going to stay behind Aaron Rodgers for long." And he doesn't. He goes to Seattle. He signs that three year, twenty and a half million dollar deal, nine million guaranteed. But there was a guy called Russell Wilson. And then out four there. teams later, here he is. And then four teams later, here he is. And and as you brought up, you know, this is the the curious case of Matt Flynn. Why are all these coaches not enamored with this guy, especially after when Seattle brought him in for that huge contract? What, ha- what happened to this guy? You know, it's funny, it's funny you say that because I, I was literally just the other day thinking about uh, writing an article about that and calling it just that, the curious case of Matt <laughs> He, I mean, he literally, you know, we're told and, and, we, and we know that these coaches, you know, you're, you're, you're Pete Carroll's, you're Bill Belichick's, these are the most highly respected coaches in the NFL, they're geniuses. And they see something in him that they bring him in, and then after they have him around for a while, he's let go. And this is a league that's starving for quality quarterbacks. You know, you look around the league and see some of the guys that are getting starting jobs, you would think anybody that Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick bring in would at least warrant a a legitimate shot somewhere. And he just kind of keeps hanging around. He'll latch on somewhere, get some look as a number three guy. And it's again, it's it's a weird paradox. Like, why why is this guy doing enough to attract this type of attention, and yet here he finds himself – potentially losing out a third-string job to a team where Geno Smith was named the starter. Uh, you know, he's not losing out the Hall of Famers here. He, he's losing out to guys that are Lost barely Lost out to Terrell out. Pryor on the Raiders, for crying out loud. And, and then Derek Carr. And yeah. then he was demoted to third string. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? You would think it's, it, it's got to be one or the other. He, he's good enough or he's not. He, I don't know. It, it's, it's weird to see a guy keep catching on and keep... I would you know, love to sign like a 20 It's not like he's losing and starting jobs in places. He's losing out on second and third string jobs. Well, he was replaced by, what, Scott Tolzien? Is he the was. backup quarterback in Green Bay? Yes. Now, so, I mean, it's not like he's a world beater either. Well, exactly. Let, let's keep it with the quarterbacks. I, I got to get your, you know, your feelings on Geno here. John Gruden recently was quoted as saying, "It's too early to give up on this kid." Now I know he's out for the first four weeks of the season, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, the journeyman from Havid, uh, will be running the Jets' offense barring injury for the first four weeks. Is it too early to give up on Geno? I mean, we didn't even we hardly saw him thanks to IK in the uh, preseason. But is it is it too early to give up, or is he a lost cause with all this off the field stuff that's going on? Well, I think the thing with Geno is, is that it, it is early, and I say that only because. He can, you know, we know the system he came from was a video game offense, drop back, heave it up there, let Tavon Austin track it down, that type of thing. Everyone knew he was going to be a project. He ended up getting rushed into the starting role with the Sanchez injury. But I, I think, and, and I say this, you know, I'm on the fence with Gino. I have my days where I'm like, cut bait and move on. 
But then you kind of take a step back and say, listen, if this was any other quarterback, you know, if this was a quarterback of another team, I would I take the rational approach of, look, young guy, wasn't ready, give him some time. The things that are, are discouraging with Geno, though, is there are the maturity issues. There is the, the you know, even though he is a, the, the, he's young and he's raw, repeating the same mistakes over and over where you're not seeing that progression. And then, of course, you know, when he has shown some progression, it's come in those, those late-season games where there's no pressure, both teams right. are out of it, and fans kind of look at that and say, well, and it, it is a tough thing to do. Can, can you completely dismiss quality play? I don't think you should do that, but I think it's also a little bit foolish to say, well, look, he's turned the corner. He, he just threw for 150 yards against Cortland Finnegan, who retired three weeks later. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, I, I would hate for them to bet. I'd rather them hang on to him maybe a year too long rather than let go of him a year too early. Um, I, I think that the fans that do support him kind of ignore the fact that while last year there wasn't a ton of talent around him, I think that receiving core, when Decker was healthy, when Harvin was healthy, was a little better than they got credit for. Again, they weren't going to light the world on fire, but I don't feel like Geno's production was on par with what he had at his disposal. When Harvin was healthy and Geno was on, he had a couple of hundred-yard receiving games. Decker was a little healthier later in the season. Amaro was a guy that didn't, he didn't throw the ball to him much, but he was a fairly productive guy when he did get the ball. The running game, we know the numbers. They were top five in the NFL. So he had a running game. He had some Solid targets, not great targets, but the play wasn't solid. And some of the game, I mean, the, was it three interceptions on eight passes against Buffalo? I mean, some of that stuff you just look at and say, can this guy ever turn it around? And, yeah. and that's the thing I look at. When you look at players, quarterbacks who have struggled early in their careers and turned around to become perennial winners, nobody, you, don't, you can't find a guy that struggled this much and see a guy that turned it around. So it is a tough call, but because it's so hard to find a quarterback in this league, I would say give him another shot with all the weapons at his disposal in a couple of years under his belt. And that's where we bring back to Matt Flynn starving for quarterbacks. But let, let's, let's move on to that offense you mentioned. You know, this might be even Percy Harvin's addition last year aside, might be the best receiver group the Jets have had. But how big of a loss is Jason Morrow, who emerged last year and has had a good preseason, how big of a loss is he going to be for you know Fitzpatrick, especially, who may need a security blanket early in the year, and he's not there? Well, I think a lot of that is going to depend on, on what we get from Quincy Inunua. I mean, Amaro, you know, of course, yeah, everyone was hoping he would make that next step, but it's not like he, he's a guy that had a ton of uh, rapport with the quarterbacks. Obviously, none with Fitzpatrick. N- didn't get a ton of looks from Geno last year, so it's not as though he was an established target for either of these guys, although the expectations were high given his size, his draft status, his college production. But I look at a guy like Quincy Inunua, who we spoke to in the offseason, uh, we did an interview with him because looking at the film on him and his highlights, very intriguing guy. Given his size, he, he plays a very physical brand of football. And, you know, my thought process earlier in the, the preseason when we were hearing about him taking reps from Jeremy Curley as a slot guy, I thought, okay, they want to go with a bigger slot receiver. I like the idea of having a guy who's going who's gonna, to, you know, he's going to be able to, to lay some big blocks against some of the smaller DBs. But now you move into that H-back role where we saw him, you know, we were up at Florham Park a couple weeks ago and I, we noticed him lining up as an H-back there, and then that came to fruition against the Giants. So a guy with that size, he, he ran a 4-4 at the combine. He's a more athletic guy than Amaro and, and a punishing blocker. So I really think he could help offset that. And the fact that you have Decker on one side, you've got Marshall on the other, and, you know, whether whoever ends up in the slot, of course, you know, there's a lot of talk about Jeremy Curley and where he stands with this front office in, in terms of what type of playing time he'll get. You know, then, you, of course, Devin Smith, whoever gets on the field, I don't think they were going re- to have to rely that heavily on tomorrow. And as a safety valve, that might be a role that Quincy and Unwell can fill. 
I, I'm going to date myself here. Uh, the Jets, to me right now, are pretty much Voltron. They're the five lions. They just don't have the head. Uh, it, 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 and it's funny, too, because if – and I'm going to just throw this out there, and you could tell me if I'm crazy, uh, Glenn, but if, if Eli Manning happened to be the Jets' signal caller, this would be – you know, people would be – saying, hey, the Jets could make some noise this year. They could even get to the Super Bowl. If they had Eli, they have an offensive line. I know it wasn't the best last year. They had some injuries. But the offensive line is a strength. The defensive line, when Sheldon Richardson comes back from his suspension, is a huge strength. The defense is ridiculous right now if they stay healthy. And that top five running game, and as you mentioned. Exactly. So is that the only thing this team is missing? Absolutely. You know, at this point, and, uh, you know, there, I feel like I've been saying for years, and, and we have been because it's been a true, a true statement, that this team, all they needed was, was adequate quarterback play. And we've been hearing it all off season, and that, that's where the, the situation is going to get interesting between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Geno Smith. Is, does Fitzpatrick play well enough early on to keep that job? Because let's face it, it's, you know, no one's played a game yet. Every fan base, no matter how good or bad you are, you want to go on optimistic, and you want to, you want to kind of envision the best-case scenario. And to me, I look at this team and I say, you know, top to bottom in terms of talent, especially on defense, this is an even better unit than we saw in 09 and 10, you know, the team that, that led the NFL in points allowed. You know, you can talk about yards through the air, yards on the ground, total yards, all that stuff is fine. But it all comes down to points. And this is a better unit on paper than what they had in 09 that was the best in the NFL in terms of points yeah, per game. Yeah, that's scary. If they're able to get top three, top five in that category again, you know, again, they got to the AFC Championship with Mark Sanchez throwing 12 touchdowns, right. 20 picks, and completing 54% of his passes. That's something that, you know, they're going to get better than that from Ryan Fitzpatrick. So there's that, that optimistic part of you that says, on paper, this defense should be as good or better than that one. Just based on track record, historically, this quarterback should be better than that one. So you want to believe that you're going to see an improved performance, and that team went deep into the playoffs. Uh, but then, of course, you have to kind of keep that balance and say Fitzpatrick's never won a lot of big games. He's been on bad teams. I think he gets, he gets a bad rap. A lot of people say, well, he never won more than six games. He played on a lot of terrible teams, or he threw 26, 27 touchdowns and completed 60% of his passes, but they were losing 38-35, you know? So I think this is going to be a kind of new territory for him where he's going to have the, a chance to go out there, put up 21 points, and have it stand up and mean something. So it's, you know, optimism early on, but of course, there's still, it's been the story of this team, you know, for, for much of the, the nearly three decades I've been a fan. They've got to get a quarterback. Petty might be that guy. You may look in the draft later, but what they have this year, you know, is a player in Fitzpatrick who should be better than what they had in Sanchez, and a defense that should be better than they were back then. And that team went to the AC Championship game. You know, division's a little tougher now, but um, it, it's hard not to have high expectations, but you, you do have to temper that. Before we let you go, again, we have a we have a fun game we're going to play that we're going to we're instituting this week, and you're our guinea pig. But be, <laughs> before we get to that, be, just because I know you're in the Philly area, and tonight is Jets Eagles, thirty seconds or less. Given the the shellackings they've laid out this spring, this fall, summer, whatever it is, what is the buzz right now in Philly about the Eagles? It's got to be huge. It is, but to be completely honest, the Philly fans have surprised me. I haven't heard as much Super Bowl talk as I expected, hmm. but it's basically, you know, everybody was on chip. Well, a lot of folks were on chip early in the offseason because of all the moves he was making, but now that they're seeing, you know, preseason or not, I don't care if you're playing catch in the backyard. What Sam Bradford did the other day, you can't ignore. You can't look past yeah, it. That was it's amazing. an offense that saw Nick Foles throw 27 touchdowns, two interceptions a couple years ago, and Bradford, by all accounts, is a better quarterback than Nick Foles. 
Kelly's got his guys in. You know, my biggest question with the, with the Eagles and whether or not they'll be able to contend, I mean, they will contend, but how far they can go is will this defense wear down late in the season? Mm-hmm. We saw it years ago. Uh, again, yep. what Chip Kelly's doing is different than what anyone else has done, but those old Bills and Oilers teams that ran those run and shoots and they'd win a bunch of games and then they'd get pummeled in the postseason, and I think a lot of that could be attributed to the tempo. So it's, it, they're a very interesting team, to say the least. All right, Glenn, I'm going to... I can't wait. I'll just say that. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. I, I'm going to date my Again, a uh, big fan of the match game show with Gene Rayburn. So I want to institute Gene something. Gene Sheenburn. Yeah, and something into the podcast along the lines of uh, what Howard Stern did on his show uh, in the early '80s, but not so dirty. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, we're not going. we're not going to get dirty. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's a question about the Jets. Now, before you came on, I posed it to Lou. He gave me the top three answers uh, for this question. So we'll see if you can get the uh, top answer on the board that Lou gave me earlier. You ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Do we have the music? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You can't hear me. All right. Here we go. The Jets would be a lock of a playoff team, Glenn, if they had blank. If they had blank. Your guess, sir. Consistent quality quarterback play. Ding, 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 that ding, ding, is the ding, ding, number ding, ding, one answer, Glenn. You are you've just mastered this game that we're going to start playing for the rest of time here on the Christian <laughs> the, Show. The other two that I came up with, number two was uh, division other than the if AFC they had East. a division other than the AFC East, and three was not so many injuries, suspensions, or stupid things. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean every year it's Brady and Belichick, no matter what. Uh, and you just got to pencil them in for 12, 13 wins every year and, and hope you find a way to get in and beat them. Yeah, well, you have to beat Rex now, too, buddy. <laughs> I know, I know. The, you know, the one saving grace there is that they're, they might be a little bit more unproven at quarterback than the Jets are, but who knows what this kid Taylor brings to the table. You know, he's, he's had some years under Joe Flacco to sit and learn, so he might be better than people are giving him credit for. Glenn Naughton from Jets Nation, we appreciate the time, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. You too. You too. There he goes, Glenn Naughton. Great job on the New York football Jets gangrene, as it were. Uh, you know, as I, I can't say as a Giant fan, I'm excited for this season to start. Uh, this has to be the first season in a long time that I am not excited at all. Uh, because that first game, as we discussed last week, mm-hmm. it, it's not going to be pretty. And they, they play the Patriots tonight, right? Is that who they play? Yeah, but yeah. it's it, I know it's basically a love fest with Belichick and Brady, who are Belichick and Coughlin, who are on the same coaching staff with Bill Parcells. I would love it. Just say that I'm going to throw this out there. I would Tom love Brady it. Plays. I would love it if Thursday night the Patriots win the toss, elect to receive, they get the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo comes out of that huddle, hands the ball off once, and walks off. And that's Bill Belichick's like. Nyeh. Final, you know, to, to, to the commissioner. Like, yeah. Here you go. Garoppolo started week one. He played one play. Come yeah. on in, Tommy. Yep. Anyway, go ahead. But anyway, I, I just I just feel as a giant fan, like the Eagles and what they've done in the offseason, and everybody got over all over Chip Kelly for bringing in Sam Bradford. He can't stay healthy. He can't stay on the field. But my goodness. Uh, and I know Phil Simms even said it. Preseason is basically a confidence builder. Yep. He, I, he said, I never want to lose in the preseason because – he says you got to lose at least once because that gives you a little bit of an edge. But and he, and he wanted to win every single game. But this preseason for the Giants has shown no reason for anyone to be optimistic. Yep. None. Let me. My father-in-law asked me on Monday night. We were out to dinner for my wife's grandmother's 93rd birthday, who also speaks Italian. Go figure with that. We have similarities. Yeah. But he asked me, you know, how are you feeling about the Eagles? Blah blah. And I looked at him straight in the face. I said, doesn't do anything for me one bit. And he goes, really? I go, no. The Lions were undefeated the year 
in the preseason, the year they went 0-16 in the regular season. Does nothing for me. Am I confident that Sam Bradford can run the offense? Sure. Am I confident that Nelson Aguilar will get better as the season goes on like Jordan Matthews did last year? Sure. Am I confident that DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews, and Darren Sproles are probably the best three-headed combo in the league? Yeah. Does it mean anything? Nope. Everybody you know, talks about the Giants and their weapons. If Bradford stays healthy, and I know the Eagles don't have like household name receivers, yeah. but that backfield... Well, Riley Cooper, but not for the right reasons. That backfield... Is crazy. Is one of the best... Sproul, if not the best in in the league, Sproles has seen a lot of time at wideout. Like he gets split out wide a lot, and you put him on a linebacker. If he gets by him, goodbye. And a quick shout out to Tyler Varga, by the way, a former Yale Bulldog, who is going to get most of the reps for the Colts tonight. Uh, I am really pulling for this kid. Mm. To me. He almost lost a leg, dude. Yeah, when he was in high school, uh, they didn't know what happened to him. He got hit a certain way. His calf started to blow up. Uh, and I forget who else the injury happened to, but the doctors misdiagnosed him. So for three days, he sat in a bed uh, while they didn't know what was wrong with him, while his leg almost got gangrene and it almost had to be amputated. Mm-hmm. They finally figured out what the problem was, uh, went to Yale, um, and was basically— and You did a lot of Yale on yes. Yeah, and, and basically it was a pinball machine. Uh, Yale lost, I think it's top three quarterbacks. So Varga had to play <laughs> quarterback slash running back. Uh, in the what's the uh, the the winged he yes and he absolutely single handedly won games by himself so for this kid and they all love him they call him the beast mm-hmm. uh, he is five foot nine solid muscle uh, there isn't an ounce of fat on this kid his his teammates love him but he's not a lock uh, he's got to go out there he's got to play a great game uh, for the Rams against uh, for the Colts against Cincinnati tonight. And um, he had his first touchdown against the Rams. That's why I said that last week. And it was a deciding touchdown in the game. Uh, he's, he's fun to watch. Uh, kind of out of the mold of Woodhead. Mm-hmm. But he's just he's built like a brick you-know-what. Yep. And I just hope he sticks. And, and that's, a, that's a backfield that is pretty good, too. Speaking of good backfields, yeah. Frank Gore and Mark Bradshaw. I had Frank Gore on my fantasy and team Boone last Heron year. And too. So. Frank Gore... Uh, you know, but if you mix in with Bradshaw, it could be a lot like they were when no, they yeah. had the Bradshaw, yeah, Derek, Thunder Ward, and Lightning, whatever. Brandon Jacobs area yeah. in New York. So, but Frank Gore definitely has yeah. lost some uh, heat on his yep. fastball. Yeah, I he's know gonna, from owning him last year. He's got to learn how to pitch. Game. Yeah. Anyway, um, that brings us to the magic hour plus. Yeah, I, I think we did. I think we did well for ourselves. Good today. work out of us today. Solid oh. job. Couldn't do it without you. Yeah. Well, you did. You did it earlier without me, but that's okay. Is it, is it Beningo that says that all the time? He's like, thank, great job by the callers. Couldn't do it without you. Yeah, that's yeah. the way we feel about our guests, too. Yes. Couldn't do it without them. Couldn't so. have done it without them. Ev. Bro. Bro. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Chris Sheeran Show. Next week, we'll be taping on Thursday, the first night. Of the National Football League. And the Yankees' first of four with the Blue Jays. It'll be a big Thursday, like, pre- Everything show. Bonanza. Yes, a pre-show bonanza. So for Lou DiPietro, I'm Chris Sheeran. Thanks for listening to the Caffeinated Hour here on the Chris Sheeran Show. Adios.